Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Perk. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Chris Torres. You can find me on Twitter at Torres Takes. I am joined by my co-hosts, Mike Carter and Carlos Marcano. Fellas, talk to me. How you feeling? Well, I'm doing great, Chris. It's been quite a few days for for us these these days, and and it's been pretty interesting. And happy to just be back together talking what we love the most, right? Baseball. All right. Well, you, you can't drop that and, and not say what what happened over the past few days. So tell us, Carlos, what, I, I, what happened? I'll let our elder talk about it. So I, I, oh, I'll, pass, I'll pass it to oh, Mike. Oh, crusty veteran. Oh, yeah. Mike, tell God. us what happened. So over the weekend, um, we found out that we at the Fantasy Baseball Beat were nominated for the baseball podcast of the year with four of the what I would say legends and titans of the industry. Um, it's amazing to see our names even be attached to something like that. Um, I shared with you guys right away that I thought someone was playing a joke on me because my phone blew up and it never really does that unless it's somebody in need of a ride or food. Um, <laughs> and so I was looking at it. I got messages from you guys, got messages from a couple other people that I know who had seen it. And um, it is really overwhelming to, to be yeah even thought of in that regard. Like I, I'm, I'm so excited that anybody's listening to what we have to say, much less getting nominated for something like that. So it's pretty amazing. You guys have done a phenomenal amount of work to pull this off. And I am so happy to be part of it with you guys and share this with you. It is like the highlight of my week to be able to chat with you guys uh, when we record these. Wow. So that was see? so heartfelt and sentimental. I love it. Uh, no, man, I, I echo the, the same sentiments that you just shared. Just so, humbled was shocked um so we'll talk a little bit more about it later in the episode but just um just want to thank anybody who supported us who's listened people who nominated us i don't know who they are if they're in like some you know smoke-filled room listening to baseball podcasts i i I don't know what the process is but uh thank you to those people um but today we are covering all things mets we have a great guest pat regazzo uh, who is on the beat for si.com uh, and we're going to be talking, like I said, the New York Mets, a team that honestly I should be a fan of. You know, I told you this before, Mike, but I, I don't think you know this, Carlos. I was born the same week the Mets won the World Series in 1986. Oh, nice. So <laughs> as that ball was rolling in between Bill Buckner's legs, I was preparing to come down the birth canal in between my mother's legs. Oh boy! <laughs> I hope yeah. I hope I hope Mama Torres is not listening. No, to she's not getting that. this episode. Uh, um, <laughs> beyond just that, my grandfather was a Met fan. My father is a diehard Met fan. My favorite colors are blue and orange. You know, so I feel a sense of personal responsibility. Yeah, you're the black going on with the Mets because of the fact that I am a Yankee fan. In light of all this information, since I have graced the earth. They have been plagued by misfortune and heartache. You know, the Cubs had the curse of the Billy Goat. The Red Sox had the curse of Babe Ruth or Bambino. The Mets appear to have the curse of Torres, and I feel badly. So I am going to try to make this right. For today and today only, I'm wearing full Mets gear. Okay, I'm wearing, you can see here, 
I'm wearing a Mets sweater. I'm wearing a Mets hat. Uh, maybe if I start to pledge allegiance to the Mets, the tides will turn. Or maybe this is one of like those fairy tale curses like Shrek or, or Beauty and the Beast. Maybe this one is harder to break. And the only thing that will work is if I go to City Field and just start making out with random Mets fans. This one isn't going to the wife either. No, I'm just saying. I hope, I hope Ingrid isn't listening to this. No, 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 no. Okay? <laughs> or, or maybe you know that guy Frank the Tank, that big Mets fan that I see on yeah. Twitter all the time. Maybe I just need to give him some loving, and that yeah. will make things right. I'll do whatever it takes, Mets fans. But listen, <laughs> I'm going to bring in our guest Pat Ragazzo again of Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thanks. So, yeah, we are we are pumped to talk about this team. They are such an interesting uh they've made a lot of interesting moves this offseason, so we want to break it down with you. Um first thing that I want to ask about is uh this rotation. All right? Uh there's some concerns there due to the age, the mileage of the front end. I mean, Verlander and Scherzer, you combine their ages, they could have, I mean, we're, we're talking like, you know, they could have served in World War One if you combine their ages. Crazy. <laughs> but uh, do you see them going because of the age and because of, of some of the fragility of this rotation? Do you see them going with a six-man rotation? That's a good question. Um, I think that David Peterson earned a spot in the rotation the way with the way that he pitched last year. And it wasn't easy. He was up and down between AAA. He was switching th- between the bullpen and spot starting a little bit and also filling in the rotation and injuries. Um, I don't think that they'll go with a six rota- six man rotation from the get go, but I do think that David Peterson and Tyler McGill are going to be utilized, uh, pretty regularly throughout the season. I, I, I have a feeling that we're going to see them make quite a bit, quite a few starts. Yeah. That's, in- that's interesting. That's one of the things that we've kind of talked about in here was, uh, talking a little bit about that stable of arms that they have in reserve should Verlander or Scherzer need an IL stint, but the six man rotation might actually be able to help them out a little bit with that too. Are there any other guys that are part of that rotation? I mean, we know the rotate, what the rotation is going to look like, but any other uh, guys in reserve there that you think might get a shot in lieu of injury to one of these guys? Well, I think Eliseer Hernandez, who they got from the Marlins, will probably get a chance to maybe fill, they're hoping that he could fill that role that, uh, Trevor Williams left and, uh, that was, you know, one of the more underrated members of the staff last season was Trevor Williams. He was, he was a quiet MVP in a lot of ways, uh, the way he filled in and, and did his job wherever they needed him to, to pitch. He plugged in and he performed. Um, of course he signed with the Nationals, so they don't have him anymore. So yeah, I think that they're hoping that Elisir Hernandez can kind of be that eighth starter, that kind of swing man who could maybe give them some long relief innings and then also maybe make a start here and there. Pat Carlos here and, um, Keeping on with the way the the Mets overhauled the, the the team with all the all these acquisitions in during the off season, and I mean they got Bernander, uh, they they got Senga, Quintan. I, I mean, and I, I, you never know with with Uncle Steve when the the acquisitions are going to stop. But how do you feel if this is going to impact? Starting with the clubhouse and all, and and, and what they. They, the way they, they did last season with respect to this season in terms of the impact of these guys coming to play with them. Well, look, last season they had a really, really good veteran clubhouse with a lot of leadership in it. You know, whether it be Max Scherzer, uh, you know, Mark Canna, 
Starley Marte, guys like that, really made an impact in the room for them last year and brought them the leadership that they were lacking the year prior. Um, and I think that you're going to see the kind of same type of chemistry in the clubhouse with the veterans they brought in, you know, guys who are well-liked around the league. And you mentioned Uncle Steve, Steve Cohen. One of the things that he's really looked at when acquiring players is not not just the talent and the ability on the field, but what they bring off the field, the kind of the head on their shoulders. So guys like Quintana and, and um, you know, Justin Verlander, I think will fit right in the clubhouse, you know, Verlander played in Detroit with uh, Max Scherzer and they didn't, they weren't said to have the best relationship, um, but they did, uh, you know, push each other to make each other better and competed against each other. I think we're going to see the same of that this year. Okay. Keeping with this theme, I want to ask you a little bit more uh, about uh, Kodai Senga. Um, want to get a sense from you. I know you wrote an article today um, about him in speaking with a, a National League talent evaluator and I found that interesting. Wonder if you could share some of the details of that article with our audience. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, Sanga is a guy, and Billy Epler mentioned this too during the introductory press conference, but um, Sanga's a guy who started in the developmental league in Japan and kind of worked his way through the minor leagues and the MPB, their version of it, and then rose to stardom kind of out of nowhere. He wasn't highly touted in high school or anything, wasn't a top prospect over there. And he's kind of just had to fight and claw his way, uh, you know, into becoming one of the best pitchers you know, in his league. So uh, a lot of scouts and talent evaluators are high on him. The Mets really loved him, and that's why they offered him a five-year, $75 million deal. Um, but Senga is a guy, he's the typical Japanese pitcher, and he's got the stop-and-go motion, um, you know, slot, good delivery and direction to the plate. Um, and then he throws with his arsenal, he throws, um, you know, 95 miles per hour plus. He can reach 100, but he's projected to throw between 94 and 95 miles per hour on the fastball. And, uh, you know, his breaking stuff is pretty good from what I've heard. But the, the number one put away pitch that he has, that's, you know, that elite strikeout pitch is that ghost fork ball that we hear about. Cause it kind of mm-hmm. looks like a fastball, you know, from the get go and it kind of just drops out of the zone like a ghost, like it disappears. The hitters, the eyes that are telling them in the bat, in the batter's box that it's a fastball coming and, uh, you know, the, the pitch just disappears. So. I think that that's something to be excited for if you're Mets fans, um, you know, that Kodai Senga is, is someone coming in, uh, you know, who's had a lot of success in the MPB and also has a good, uh, you know, has some good weapons there that, that he can uh, throw to opposing hitters. And, he, and he's considered a strikeout pitcher as well. So um, when talking in this conversation with the scout, actually, he when I asked him, uh, you know, who would you rather have, Chris Bassett or Kodai Senga? Because essentially Senga replaced Bassett in the rotation and uh, – he said Sanga all the way because he just has more put away pitches. When you're in a jam and you need a strikeout, Sanga Sanga's gonna going to get it for you, and that's uh, you know that's kind of the reputation that he has. Yeah, I'm looking at one of the projection systems that we use um, when playing fantasy baseball called Steamer. They have him projected for a 27 percent um, K percentage, uh, which is above average. Um, the bat, you know, there's some discrepancies. Uh, another projection system called the bat projects them for a 20.5%. So big difference there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that just kind of goes with someone who we don't have any uh, baseline to work with. There's going to be a lot of variance in those projections. And it so, shows uh, how hard it is to, to project these Japanese imports. And, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's so, so difficult at the end. So moving a little bit... Um, Beyond the, the the pitching staff and all these acquisitions, do you think there's something else that that there is lacking still at the, at the, for the team, and that they might be still looking for, 
or um, they are done and we are just getting ready for spring training and then get ahead with the season. So last year, I felt they were a bat short. I felt they should have gone out and got Kyle Schwarber, add power to the lineup and another big bat. This year, the move was Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa was the move to put their offense and their lineup over the top. And, you know, it just didn't work out. Um, so it's disappointing because they're essentially bringing back the same lineup from last year that came up short that ran out of juice in September and in the playoffs. And, um, I think that they are, they are done right now making big moves. Um, I think they're done in, in pretty much every area. Um, but, but I do think that they're a bat short. And I think that, um, you know, obviously what Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty do, uh, whether whether we see them up out of spring training or you know as the season progresses, uh, their contributions are going to factor in play as well. But uh, but I do see them needing to trade for another big bat at the trade deadline, as as was the case last year, and they were unable to do so. Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask about Alvarez, Pat. Um, you know, one of the things that the Mets did was trading McCann to Baltimore, and now that looks like they're going with a platoon of uh, Thomas Nito and. Um, uh, Omar Narvaez, where do you see Alvarez fitting into this thing? I mean, is he somebody that's going to make the team out of spring training? Will they keep three catchers? Will he DH? I mean, obviously we know that the, the bat pedigree is really high, right? I mean, it's a max effort kind of swing guy. Do you think he makes the team out of spring training? Um, I think if he tears the cover off the ball and has a, has a really big spring, I think it'd be hard to not carry him on the opening day roster, but at the same time, my gut tells me that they're going to start him out in AAA and have him work uh, on his defensive skills a little bit more, you know, whether it be framing or receiving behind the plate. I think those are two skills that are very crucial uh, to his development. And the Mets don't want him to just be a DH, which is why they're they're not going to have him serve as the primary mm-hmm. DH uh, to start the year. But um, they want him to be a catcher, and that's his position that he plays. That's where he's going to reach his full potential. Um, so that's why I'm I'm thinking that he's going to wind up starting the season in AAA. So follow up to that, then if you had to put an over under on 200 at bats for him this year, where would you put that? If all goes well, I would say over. I, w- I would give him the over there. Um, that if all goes well, he's going to be contributing to this team by June, by the summer months, and he's going to be playing a big role as as expected because he's the number one prospect in baseball. Right. That's a that's a great thing for us to think about because with fantasy baseball stuff, right? That's what we need to know. Like how much of, of playing time is this guy going to get? So. Thanks for uh, taking a chance to answer that question real quick. Yeah, of course. Yeah, keeping with playing time, another area where there's some uncertainty is in left field. Uh, so mm-hmm. the Mets just signed Tommy Pham. Uh, how do you see this playing out, Pat? Uh, the, the battle there between Mark Canha and Tommy Pham, how do you see the Mets splitting that up? Well, I think Can is going to get the majority of the playing time, but Pham is a hitter who's very good against lefties. That's what really his niche, where his niche is right now. Um, but that's why when you look at the DH position, uh, Daniel Vogelback will, will play against righties. And if Darren Ruff, if he's still on the roster by then, uh, if he struggles again out of the gate, then I, I could see that, uh, platoon going to fam, uh, where he faces lefties as the, as the, uh, the DH against left-handed pitching. Um, I do think Mark Hanna will get the bulk of left field, but also I think we're going to see Jeff McNeil get a, get a good amount of time in left field again and have you or play second base. Really? Okay. So a follow-up to that, I had a question here on Twitter uh, about the, the bench configuration. So we've got Nito at backup catcher. We've got Guillaume infield, Fam backup outfielder. Who do you think gets like the last spot there on the bench between Ruff, Beatty, Vientos, uh, or even Alvarez? I know you kind of touched on that already, but what are your thoughts? 
That's a good question. I mean, like Alvarez, I think if, if Beatty has a big spring, then it's going to be hard to keep him in AAA. Um, that he, you know, if he winds up beating out Escobar for the third base job, I don't think that'll happen. I think Beatty will probably wind up in AAA to start the year again. So I'm going to say Ruff probably gets that last bench spot to start the year. Granted, they don't trade him, uh, you know, before opening day. Are they really going to go with Daniel Vogel back as the, <laughs> the strong side platoon DH? I think that's the plan. Yes, that uh, they're they're going to go with Vogel back again, uh, you know, against against righties, and uh, you know he had some success. He he kind of uh, once he got that hamstring injury in Philadelphia, he kind of tapered off a little bit, but um, but he did have some immediate success when the Mets first acquired him, and uh, you know he has a, he has a good track record against right-handed pitching. So I think that's uh, that's the formula they're going to go with to start the year. I will always root for Daniel Vogelbach, Chris. You know why? Because. He played uh, a ball in Kane County, which is in my backyard here in Illinois. And he was a fan favorite. He was a super guy, really aggressive guy, really cool dude. I always am rooting for him. I hope he sticks and does well. Yeah, you can't not you can't not root for the guy. I mean, he's just he's just lovable. But I, I just don't know a team that has aspirations like the Mets. Like, I feel like they could do better, you know, as uh, in the DH spot, but. We'll see. I think they have options. And if he struggles, I think they have guys that, whether it's Alvarez, whether it's um, Beatty, Vientos, I think there are guys there that, that could take that role. And another way to look at it, too, um, you know, if Beatty, if, when he winds up coming up to the big leagues, um, you know, he could play third and Escobar could DH against righty, against lefties if, uh, mm-hmm. if, if Vogelback's still in there against righties and if Ruff, uh, you know, fizzles out again. So, so thinking about, about that, if you had to pick, which of the top prospects do you think it's going to have the biggest impact in this season? I think Francisco Alvarez. I think that uh, he has a serious bat. Uh, he just needs to refine the defensive skills behind the plate a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's he's the guy. He's the number one prospect in all of baseball, and he's, he's supposed to be producing. And, uh, you know, once he's up, that's what they expect from him. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see him in more of a, a larger sample size as opposed to last year. What do you feel is the team's outlook on these prospects that we keep bringing up? I mean, because there, there's talent there. Um, do you think the the organization's philosophy is to use these players as eventual trade bait at the deadline to put this team over the top? Um, what do you think? Or, or are they more of the mindset that they want to hold on to these guys um, and kind of follow like the Braves path and like get these guys locked up early and and build more of a solid foundation? Uh, with younger players moving forward what do you think I think it's the latter I think they want to hold on to their prospects that's why they didn't make any big trades in the deadline last year and uh, they want to kind of build the infrastructure that's similar to the Braves and the Dodgers and uh, you know kind of go from there you know develop your your young players and uh, you know when the time comes you pay them of course but uh, it's it's going to be tough to get the discounts that the Braves has gotten on their players but uh, but the Mets want to follow a similar formula. I was a little curious about the team has the best reliever in, in baseball, Edwin Diaz, right? I, I mean, the guys is just lights, lights out. Do, do you think or are you confident that uh, is Diaz enough? Because I, I don't, I, I think that that bullpen, it's just one step or one false movement to be a little bit too dependent on Edwin Diaz. I don't know if I make myself explain. I, I, and and I, I'm not sure if, if, if it's something that's, um, you know, 
talk about or or or, or there is a sense of in in that regard in in, in the team um i mean diaz is going to be relied on heavy heavily of course um you know he's coming off a career year um and he's he's their guy he's their anchor in the back end of the bullpen but you know they they did a good job of getting going out there and uh you know re-signing Ottavino and signing David Robertson and trading for Brooks Raley. Um, I do feel like the bullpen's one piece away. I, I would like to see them get a Andrew Chafin or a Zach Britton. But um, the word is that the Mets are looking for optional relievers. Um, and, and that's, you know, probably where the last spot in the bullpen is going to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pat, one of the things that we didn't really talk about when you came on was uh, you, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your start and in the industry and, coming to cover the Mets. I mean, that's a huge job that you got there in front of you. How did you get here? Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so when I was in college, uh, my last semester of college, uh, I had worked a summer job and I got to work with some of the shows on WFAN. So I went to Giants training camp with Mike Francesa, Boomer and Geo, uh, at the time, uh, Maggie and Chris Carlin. And I was like, okay, how do I do this for a full-time job? Like this atmosphere is what I want to be a part of. Um, so I went back to school for a semester and, um, right before I graduated and just started networking with people nonstop. And, um, I met Mike Mayer from Mesmerized. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does great work over there. Um, and I started writing for Mesmerized part time. Um, so I got a full-time sales job out of college and was writing for Mesmerized part time and, kind of just focused on, you know, interviewing players or getting, you know, big stories that would get noticed and, um, you know, kind of did that and networked at a relentless pace for a couple of years and then um, was uh, writing part time for Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation's Yankee site and their New York Giants site. So I did that part time as well, in addition to writing for Metsmerize for a couple of years. Um, and the, the job, um, you know, for the Mets site was open. The, they didn't have anyone running a Mets site and, uh, I pitched it to them and I wound up getting the job and I joined the beat in June of 2021. So I'm going into my third season as a Mets beat writer. That's fantastic. Yeah. That Thank is, you. that is awesome. Congrats on, on your Thanks. success. It sounds like you, you deserve it. You, you've worked hard to get here. Um, so let's get you out of here on this. We, we always like to ask, um, our guests, one interesting or, or funny story of their time covering the team. And let me throw a little uh, wrench in here because you just mentioned him. I'm a huge Mike Francesa fan. Um, <laughs> have you got any good Mike Francesa stories? We could go with that or, uh, or you could do both, whatever, whatever comes to mind. So any, anything funny or interesting, uh, during your career, uh, that you would like to share with our listeners? I'll do a Francesa one and then I'll do a career one. Um, oh, awesome. All right. When, when I went to Giants training camp with Francesa, he, uh, he didn't want to eat the media lunch. So, uh, he like was like, yeah. so he was like, okay, uh, someone go get, go get us pizza. So we're like, all right. Uh, he just pulls out a wad of cash and just was like, here, go, go get it. And, uh, we got him probably the worst pizza that you could get in New Jersey. It was terrible. <laughs> it was from route three. And, uh, we gave it to him and he, he, he didn't say anything. He ate it and, uh, he was polite, but, uh, I, wow. yeah, I, okay. I like to tell people that I got Mike Francesa pizza for lunch, uh, <laughs> one of the day that I worked for him. Yeah. Well, we all know we're in Chicago, you know, the pizza is different here than it is in New York, man. For real. I like deep dish. I, I do yeah. like Chicago pizza, but I like New York pizza too. I mean, I didn't get fat on accident. Look at me. So I, I clearly <laughs> eat enough pizza wherever I go. Right. So, and hot dogs, right? You guys got good hot dogs too. Amen to that. No ketchup. No catch up. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then I would say my, my career story is not really a funny one, but, uh, it was really interesting. 
um, during spring training, I went down to Port St. Lucie last year to cover spring training. And um, we're talking to Buck Showalter after a Grapefruit League game. And he was asked about uh, Jacob deGrom. And he kind of like gave us a nonchalant answer, whatever, you know, didn't think anything of it. Uh, oh, it, you know what it was? It was, I think it was Tim Healy who asked it. Uh, he said, oh, there's rain in the forecast on Friday when DeGrom's supposed to pitch. Is there any consideration of maybe moving him back a day? And Buck said that, oh, you know, it was something we'll talk about, but, uh, you know, no- nothing there, you know, so far. It's something we got to talk about. Um, okay, so we we disperse after the press conference, and, uh, you know, a couple of us are still left in the in the media room writing. There wasn't many of us left. There's probably like four of us left. This was, you know, late at night at this point, and everyone's gone home. And uh, Buck comes back into the room, which never happens. He comes in the media room, and we're like, uh oh, like, what's going on? And uh, he sa- he went up to Tim, and he was like, you know, I don't feel good about this. You know what you said in there, and I thought he was like gonna yell at him. He's like ha- having a problem with him asking the question. And uh, Buck goes, uh, you know, Jacob Degrom, uh, he well, he said Jake. He was like he. Uh, he felt soreness in his shoulder playing catch today, and uh, he's headed for an MRI tomorrow. He's definitely not going to pitch. So I thought that that was, uh, you know, that was probably the most interesting thing that's happened in my career uh, so far of having him, you know, come back in the media room and tell us about, you know, the injury about Degrom because it was it was just very unusual. Well, so it's he, also really shocking in your career to have Jake Degrom be hurt. Yeah, not really. <laughs> he, he was hurt most most of my time, <laughs> right? Right. As my uh, as a Mets beat writer, but, let me uh, ask you quickly on Degrom. Were you surprised he left? No, uh, not really. It was yeah. the whole the whole time. All we heard was how he didn't like being in New York, and yeah, he, he was very being in the clubhouse. Like he was very standoffish to media. He was standoffish to teammates mm. at times. Um, it, it just it, it's not surprising, and especially when you see the contract he got five years, one hundred eighty-five million from the Rangers. Right. I mean, how do you say no to that? The Mets, yeah. the Mets were not coming close to that. Um, you know, so no, I was not surprised that he left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just interesting because I, you know, I've I've heard a lot of speculation about how he just he really wasn't happy here, and he he was just looking to get out regardless. So uh, interesting to hear that confirmed. But listen, we really appreciate your time, Pat. Thank you so much for coming on. want to give you a second to let our listeners know where they can find your work. Sure. Yeah. You can find my work uh, at inside the Mets, si.com slash MLB slash Mets. Um, it's the New York Mets site for Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation. And you could also catch me on Twitter at Ragazzo Report, R-A-G-A-Z-Z-O Report. So uh, thanks so much for having me on. It was a blast, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks again. We are going to take a quick break. Welcome back. We have just finished our interview with Pat Ragazzo of SportsIllustrated.com. Another really good interview, some interesting uh, takeaways and information. So let me ask you guys, Mike, Carlos, it's amazing. I got both of you today. This is like such a treat. Um, tell me what were some things that stood out about the interview? Anything that uh, you think was relevant um, for our listeners from a fantasy perspective that you want to highlight? Um, on my side, I think getting to his feeling that Peterson is the guy that could earn more than a few innings, you know, being the backup plan for for the old guys. I I hate to use that word because I'm older than than them. So so, but so depressing, uh, right? When we think of these guys as old, and then we're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there. So, 
let's say uh, these veterans, you know, and and, and right, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah and uh, I, I think because he he did a pretty good job last season, you know, and and if if you can get him in very late rounds, and he could get you some extra quality innings. And pitching for the Mets that should win, they should win a lot of games. Those could be some Ws that could make the difference at the end, you know. The more than you can get here and there, I mean, why not Peterson, you know? Okay, for reference, Peterson is going at, um, I got to update this to make sure I'm getting the most recent data. And this is from October. Come on, Torres. That's a rookie mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, think it's like around 400. Yeah, he's going around there. Let's see. I'm updating it for the past month here. Draft Champions ADP. He's at uh, 386. Okay. So, That's um, fair. Yeah. So, and then just uh, also for reference, McGill is going at pick 401. So, hmm. uh, it stood out to you, Carlos, that Peterson is probably the next man up if one of these, uh, we'll say veterans, goes down. Yeah. Um, Mike, what about you? What was something that stood out about the interview? No, I was a little surprised. I thought he'd be um, a little more high on Alvarez. You know, um, I asked if he was going to break camp, and he said if he tore the cover off the ball. Um, I kind of looked at it from an outside perspective. Obviously, I'm not there. Pat knows way more than I do. He's part. He's following the team, and that's what he does for a job. But the way that I looked at it, with Narvaez and Nito catching, I thought maybe Alvarez might slot into that DH position a little more naturally. But it sounds like what Pat said was that they really want him to focus on becoming a better receiver and blocker and framer as a catcher and kind of develop. So it sounds like he might actually start the season at AAA, which I was a little surprised about. I thought it was it was pretty sure deal that he would make the team out of spring training. And I guess he still could. I guess I'm just interested that Pat said that he didn't think that that would be the case. Yeah, I agree. That that was, um, I mean, of course, anybody tears the cover off the ball, uh, they're, they're going to get playing time. So it wasn't didn't really get a, a, a commitment there, any like enthusiasm about him being on the team. So um, that is still the great unknown, right, with, with Alvarez as what his role is going to be this season. Um, something that stood out to me that he that Pat did seem confident in, even with this Tommy Pham signing, he seemed pretty confident that Mark Canha is going to be the primary left fielder out there. So um, I was a little bit. I can't say excited for fan because I, I know that he's not going to be a, a starting um, outfielder for this team. It's really going to take an injury for him to be very fantasy relevant, uh, except in deep 15 team leagues and up. Uh, but it did. I, again, I was surprised that Ken Ha was the guy. I mean, do you guys think Ken Ha, there, there's some fantasy relevance there? Are, are you at all interested in him uh, a little bit later in drafts? No, I'm not at all. Not at all. Uh, I mean, I'd suffered him in Auckland for, for, for <laughs> oh, some time. That's right. You know him well. Yeah, yeah I think too well. And um, I was one and a believer, and as always, Auckland broke my heart, and and I just you know had to stop hurting myself trying to think that he was going to be the next big big thing. I, I don't see him being uh, of any you know very good value for your teams. You know, I saw him on a Sunday night game, on the ESPN game, and he was wearing the microphone one time over the summer, and he said that his name was actually pronounced Kanya. And so I I don't really know what – it doesn't matter. But I'm not really interested in him either from a fantasy perspective. I think he's another one of those guys that 
is a better baseball player in real life than he is a fantasy player. Seems to be a really good guy to have on the team, a good glue guy, and um, he's not going to hurt you. But he's not somebody that's really sexy from a fantasy perspective that you really want to get in on. I mean, if you take him as a fifth outfielder with hopes of some upside, I think you're going to be disappointed. I don't think there is any upside, but uh, he can fill in a gap for you if you need him to for injury or something of that nature. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing sexy or or exciting about that, but except the the name, uh, Kanya, that's like, that's how you say it? I thought that's what he said in the and and wow. I remember thinking it's way too close to Kanye. Right, so right. That's all like, I was about to say. You know, like, like, yeah. <laughs> it might be something like in Spanish, Kanye. There is a letter there that it's hard for for you guys to pronounce <laughs> the Ñ. Right. Yeah. Well, well, you'll know if like you know they do the player introductions and they're like. Uh, they introduce him as Ye, formerly known as Mark Kanha. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, hopefully he doesn't go the same route that Kanye did. Yeah, uh, maybe, anyway, maybe we'll, you could get a good sneaker deal, though. You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably not. But um, uh, Tommy Pham actually, so he's a little bit more interesting to me. And me and my my sick brain, I, I'm just like sitting there on you know in bed thinking about like different scenarios of uh you know how i could like handcuff players in in my upcoming draft and let me just say like i i do my homework right like i didn't go show up to any of these episodes that we did before and talking about adp like i didn't know what i was talking about but i'll be honest like i wasn't in it like i i refuse to draft i'm a sick human being but i'm not sick enough to be drafting a, a fantasy baseball team on like november 15th i'm sorry like mm-hmm. i just, just i can't do it um, but you know, we, we have to talk about ADPs and, and there's, there's a lot to be gleaned from that, but like, I wasn't in it, but let me tell y'all, I am focused. You know, I, I texted you guys in the chat the other day. Like, I feel like I'm alive. I'm back. <laughs> um, I, I joined my first DC the other day and, uh, yeah, these segments, I think I, like I'm so focused right now. Like I don't even like when I, like if, if, if you called me Mike tomorrow and you were like, Hey, how's the weather out there in New York? I'd be like, um, Vinny Pasquantino. Like, I, I don't like my vocabulary is just fantasy baseball at this point. So, yeah. uh, just, I, I just want to put it out there that, that these segments, like, I, I'm, I'm focused right now. But anyway, what I was thinking the other day was about Tommy Pham and, um, specifically related to Starling Marte because I think Marte is a good value in drafts, man. And we're, so let's just transition into our ADP talk. Um, He's going right now at an ADP of 83. Mm-hmm. And given what he provides with the stolen bases, with a good average, we know the power is not great, but he's going to hit in a prime spot in the lineup, probably number two. At that point in the draft, we're really getting a good value there. I mean, the age, yeah, I get it. There's some concern. You don't want to invest in a 34-year-old for stolen bases, but there's nothing there that indicates that he's all of a sudden going to fall off. Yeah, he got injured last year when he, I, I'm, I believe he got hit by a pitch and he fractured his finger, took him some time to get back, uh, but otherwise was completely healthy. I mean, you guys saw the picture of him on a horse a couple years ago, right? The dude is just completely ripped out of his mind. Um, so I think he's a value. But if you have some concerns about his durability, I say back yourself up with Tommy Pham now that he's on the Mets because if Marte goes down he's pretty much going to slide right into an everyday role and while he's not Starling Marte 
Tommy Pham, even if you look at his projection, pretty good. I mean, he right now, the bat has him in 472 plate appearances for 15 home runs and 12 stolen bases. I mean, that's I'll take that. So where are they, where are they getting those at bats from? Yeah, I don't know. M- maybe that needs to be adjusted based on you know. But I- I'm just giving you an idea. If he were to play every day, like there's a power speed combo there. Um, you know, and going around pick 400, he's probably, I can't imagine he's going to move up after signing with the Mets because people are going to know, like, he's a backup outfielder mm-hmm. at this point. So yeah. uh, beyond pick 400, yeah, I'll take Tommy Pham if I have Starling Marte because I know, you know, stolen bases, it's tough sometimes when you lose one of your primary stolen base guys, like you, you're kind of screwed. You really, it's, it's hard to find a guy who you could put in there who's going to be, replacement level in other areas and i think that's a strategy it's I, I don't know maybe i'm just like galaxy braining it but i don't know what do you guys what do you guys think about that well that's interesting and, and speaking into that uh, if you see the re- most recent drafts at in fbc the he's been jumping in in in, in his uh as you know the minimum pick for him has been 346 so, so that's way, way oh, wow. okay. richer than, than, than where he was usually being, uh, drafted before. So there, you know, sharks might be thinking that way and that makes you a shark too. Uh, no, yeah. I'm more like, uh, definitely not a shark. I'm not a minnow, but I'm not a shark. Well, hopefully someday. <laughs> um, Mike, what about you? Let, let's talk about this Mets team and, and who at ADP you're most interested in. T- tell me who you're looking at. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I I usually end up with a lot of Frankie Lindor. Um, his ADP is about 33 right now, I think, and I feel like that's a really nice price to be paying for him. Um, but going a little bit further down the line, um, you know, Marte was a guy that I'm also really interested in, too. I mean, his minimum pick was 33. His max was 116. And I think what you're, if you're getting him somewhere in the 70s or 80s, like you were just talking about, I think it's a great deal. I mean, we know what he is, right? He's, he's going to probably hit 15 to 18 home runs. Uh, in 21, he stole like 46, 47 bases, I think. Now, last year he was down a little bit in steals, but I think that was more because of the injury. He just feels like a really good value there to me at that point. I mean, if you're, if you're taking him as your second or third outfielder there, I really like what you're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm totally on board with Marte. Uh, Carlos, yes or no on Marte at his price? Oh my, I'm, I'm going to be the odd man here. <laughs> that, that's not a yes or no. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> it, I, I'll I'll give you a, a a really bad answer. It depends. Ah, oh, see, <laughs> yeah. right. uh, I will. Nuance. I would, we don't do I that here. Targeting here. I, I I would not be targeting here if that answers mm-hmm. a little bit more. Okay, so tell me just real quick. I I love to hear the other side, and I I value your opinion. What would be a reason not to be on it in on him at that price? I'm scared of the. Statistically, store an historical trend of aging players for stolen bases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, okay. that that would be my my only concern uh, regarding him. You know, and I'm I think I'm too much risk adverse to be to mm-hmm. be honest uh, regarding older players and and um, but 
is he if he falls a little bit behind uh, later than that 80 83 I, I i would go for him but he he would have to fall i think in the past couple of weeks he's fallen to the to 105 105 which that's wow. that's sweet <laughs> that, that that's really really sweet and And amazing, but uh, I don't think that's going to be the case too too much too too many times. So yeah, okay, I, I think that's fair. And and you know, listen, the 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 comps or, or the historical age curve of of these types of players does not look great. So uh, mm -hmm. definitely understand that. Someone, I, I'm not going to be aggressive on him in his ADP, but someone that I definitely, you know, I I've told you guys like I have these buckets, and he's in the bucket of I'll take. Right yeah. at, at at that ADP. Sure, um, I, I wouldn't so, blame you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll throw out another name to you guys, and let me get your thoughts. Brandon Nimmo, uh, Mike, in or out on him uh, at an ADP of one seventy seven. It's a tough one for me. It's not somebody that I'm targeting. If if I'm in a, a position where I need to have someone, I I like him there. I, I just I have a hard time kind of gauging what he is moving forward at twenty million dollars a year. You know, like is he he? The, there's not a lot of power there. The average is okay. It was better than okay. I shouldn't say that it's okay. Speed is pretty good. I, I just feel like for what I'm looking for there, most likely I'm probably already kind of done with my my top three or four outfielders at that point, and I don't know that I would be super interested in him unless he kind of fell to me. It, it just, there's nothing about him ever. I, I, he said, I like watching him play in real life, no doubt about it, but there's nothing about him that's leapt out at me ever from a fantasy perspective of this is a guy that I have to have, you know, I can kind of take him or leave him really. Carlos, what about you? I'm in, I'm in on Nemo. I, I like him and mostly because of runs. And this mm -hmm. is, I, I've been guilty of this. Sometimes we don't pay enough attention to, to getting those pesky runs. And especially in this time and age when baseball is, you know, batting averages are down and, and you, it's hard to find those guys that consistently are, are running the bases. And especially in a refurbished lineup like, like mm -hmm. from the Mets, he could score a hell of a lot of runs. And then he already did last year. He scored a hundred. Around two or something like that, and not many players are are going beyond a hundred runs these days. So he's at a really nice ADP is one hundred and seventy four. He can give you a good batting average. <laughs> he he belted uh, double digits in homers, sixteen uh, homers last year. It, it was odd because it was most. More than he was doing with the previous years, but in 2018 he also belted 17. So I, I find him very interesting for uh, his pr price right now. I agree. I, I'm in on him at his price. Um, yeah, he's one of those guys that I know everybody says this about him. He's a better real life player than a fantasy player, but. Mm -hmm. I think he gives you enough everywhere. And like you said, Carlos, those runs, man, like if he's healthy, is there any way with his on base percentage um, that he's not going to score a hundred runs in that offense? You know, is there any yeah. way that doesn't happen um, at pick 177? Man, I, I think that is so, so valuable. The other thing that's intriguing with him too, 
Let's do a quick numbers game here. I'm going to give you a number and just lost it. Hang on. 84. This is a number. I'm going to give it you two options here. Is that Brandon Nimmo's sprint speed or the amount of hot dogs that Daniel Vogelback eats before every game? <laughs> I'm going to go A on that one, Vanna. Okay. All right. You are right. 84 sprint <laughs> speed, man. We know the dude can fly. Yeah. Um, he's never really – let me just pull him up here. I, I don't think he's – had double digit stolen bases. No, never. Um, no. There was an interesting article, though, and I'm going to plug uh, everybody who listens to this probably already knows about Jeff Zimmerman's Minding the News, but he had a link to an article that talked about Nimmo being more aggressive this year on the base pass. And I don't know, like, I, I know the whole debate about who's going to make a jump with the new bases and the rule changes. I want to look at guys like Nimmo who are fast, yeah. right? And he, I, I guess he talked about how the team really wanted to keep him on the field. He had a lot of injury issues in the past, and that was part of the lack of stolen bases. But it seemed like there was some, uh, uh, he was kind of alluding to that, you know, he, he's going to be more aggressive this coming year. And let's say Nimmo does his normal thing, you know, scores a hundred runs, hits 15 home runs. Um, but let's say instead of the five that he's projected for, he gets you 12, gets you 13. Mm -hmm. That changes yep. his valuation quite a bit. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I think at his floor, he's fine where you're getting him, especially when I look at some of the players going around him. But then I think there is definitely additional upside. Uh, and I've talked about this on previous pods. Like I want guys who I know um, have that. Uh, that upside to make that stolen base leap. We have no idea who those people are going to be, but just expose yourself to as many of those guys who are fast and have shown some ability in the past. And hopefully you hit on, you know, a, a few of them and that changes yeah. things dramatically. Yeah. You're causing me to reconsider guys. I'd have to look at that. I mean, that's a really great point to think about with guys that have underperf underperformed in steals. Could that be changing this year? Maybe there'd be a little bit more aggression on the base pass with the, with the rules change. Um, that could, that could be huge. The difference between a guy having five and 12 stolen bases is pretty large with your team construction. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, anybody else? Anybody else that you're looking at? What about these old? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Carlos. The veteran pitchers, uh, Scherzer and Verlander. I mean, you're going to have to pay a premium for these guys. Uh, yeah. They are going. I think Verlander is about the end of the third round. He's going at pick uh, 46. Uh, so right at that 3 4 turn, Scherzer almost immediately after him at pick 48. Um, I'm, guys, I, I'll admit, like, I'm probably going to have zero of either of them. I'd be more likely to take Verlander. Um, there's just something I, I'm not in love with the underlying skills, but it's, it's just an effing Verlander. I mean, he just. I think we kind of throw out some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like his Sierra was above three. His CSW was like 26, which is not great. Uh, but I don't know. I'm willing. I would be willing to overlook that maybe on like a team if I'm drafting 10 teams, but not someone I'm going to want a lot of exposure to. Sure, there is someone I'm just out on. Like, I, I don't, I'm not paying that price. Um, 
just the injuries. It's another year older. I can't get that image out of my head of him being booed off the mound in October. Uh, he had nothing left. The guy was gas, and he didn't even pitch a full year. He had mm-hmm. injuries that limited him. So, yeah. you know, another year older, what can we really expect from him? This is not the same. Um, I don't think you could have the same expectations that you just assume. Uh, you, you see Max Scherzer. Uh, we got to take that name out. I mean, and just real quick, guys, I see Carlos Rodon going in the same vicinity as him. Come on. Well, mm-hmm. What are we doing here, people? Uh, Carlos Rodon, I mean, that's like he should be in the second round. So, like, the fact that Scherzer, if you're taking Scherzer over Rodon, you're just not, you're not thinking straight. But that's an aside. Uh, quickly, guys, anything on the these two guys, uh, Verlander and Scherzer? Yeah, I'm out, out, I'm out of them, too. Uh, out on, on them. Uh, I, I'd rather draft Nola, Rodon, or McClanahan, which go uh, in similar prices. So, and I, I think you said it really, really well already, and I, I'm also out. Yeah, I think the thing for me is that as I've gotten older, and I'm older than Carlos, right? So <laughs> as I've gotten older, I think one of the things that I've really kind of started to think about is is kind of darting away from guys that have really strong name recognition, but that are a little a little long in the tooth. And I and I I worry about that with guys like Scherzer and Verlander, although. I think what you said about I'm out on Scherzer for sure. I think what you said about Ver, Verlander is a different cat, right? I mean, he's a, he's cut from a very different cloth, but he's also forty, and time, Father Time is not kind to those of us in our forties, Chris, as you'll learn when you get there. And I, I just am out on those guys. I just can't see any scenario in which I'm taking a chance on them at their ADP. I just don't see it. Yeah. Okay, so we are. Uh, agreeing on that. No Verlander or Scherzer for us. Um, I want to transition to kind of some player breakdowns here and, and we'll incorporate discussion around them, uh, their ADP. But I want to take a look at, uh, first, Carlos, you're going to talk a little bit about Carlos Carrasco and he's an interesting guy going at an ADP of 306. Um, I like, I, I've kind of forgotten about him. You know, I, I, I just kind of dismiss him because of the injuries, the age. But man, pick 306, like he's going to be a starting pitcher on a really good team who, you know, maybe he's, he's not Carlos Carrasco of three, four years ago, but there might be some value in there. So am I wrong, Carlos? Like tell us a little bit about, uh, Carrasco and, and what you found on him. No, no, you're not wrong at all. I mean, Cookie is someone that. I mean, he at some point had the Cy Young potential, right? When he was in Cleveland at the top of his game, he, he was just amazing. And, and, of course, injuries started happening and age started happening. But uh, he did fairly well last year, even when he only pitched 150 innings, but which, by the way, you have, we have to reconsider this in terms of not being that low anymore because of the way now starting pitcher goes around and, and how everyone, every of these pitchers pitch less and less every year, you know? Uh, so 150 innings is not bad at all. And that's what most projection systems have been, uh, for this year too. 151, 145. And, um, last year he brought 15 wins with with those um in those 150 innings pitch and that's the good thing about pitching uh, with the 
for the Mets, you know? That's like you, Urias, pitching for the for the Dodgers. If you pitch just, you know, good, well enough, 350 ERA, uh, just getting your your best at, at the moment, but good, that will be good enough to hold the, the, the people until your team makes their the runs. You're gonna be you're gonna be in a position of getting lucky, you know. Um, people is scared a little bit about um, Carrasco losing some ticks in his in his fastball last year, which is it, it's true. He he started he ended the year around uh, let me just ninety two if I recall right. Yeah, ninety two, and in his four seamer and. Um, but let's remember something. He started the year around 93. He just moved around 93, 94. He, he, he didn't pitch faster than that earlier in the year. So I, I, I'm not concerned about, about that. And he kept the, the ball, the batting average against him just good enough for, to get away with it. And that's the best way I, I would. Uh, define Carrasco. He's he's learning to get away with him. He's not the overpowering pitcher he he could have been before, but he he's you know that that's something that a good thing that comes with age too. You learn to be tricky. You learn to to put the ball in in the spots that you need to. He's a talented guy. He's a talented guy, and he knows all of that. So with a little bit of luck and health and he if he gets those 150 innings maybe he won't win 15 games any, anymore but if he, if he gives you 12 wins while keeping around 350 that ERA that's value at, at, at ADP of 300 man you're you're not going to get better than that at that point in the draft I'm, this like really I'm shocked like first of all I had no, and I follow baseball like crazy and I live here in New York. If you had told me Carlos Carrasco, well, you just did. Uh, you told me 150 innings from Carlos Carrasco last year. I would never uh, believe yep. you. Like, that's insane. I, mm-hmm. For some reason, I just thought he was injured and, like, he kind of had an uneven year. I'm looking at his numbers. He was good. He, he was, was good. He, he was fine. Um, he pitched 150 innings, 15 wins. And I'm looking here at an article from, uh, again, Jeff Zimmerman, the guy who does incredible work. Um, he's, he did note here that there was an oblique injury in August. His fastball was at 93.4 before the injury. And then that led to the drop to 92.6. So, you know, I mean, there's obviously a high probability that there's going to be some injury that pops up over the course of the year, but man, for what you're getting at that price, I mean, there's not many pitchers going in that range that have upside of 15 wins. Right, like we know, that's in the range of outcomes. Um, had a three point six zero Sierra, which is good. Um, he says it best here in art. Like, what do people want? Why? Why does nobody seem to have interest in Carrasco? Mike, any any thoughts on this? Well, I think Carlos nailed it. I mean, the guy knows how to pitch, right? I mean, he's he's a survivor. He's a cancer survivor. Um, just a remarkable story coming back from everything that he's gone through in his life. And I think people have a tendency to think that he's older than what he really is. And he's not. And you look at the numbers and you look at the, he's, he's overshadowed. He, and he wasn't like that in Cleveland too. He gets overshadowed by 
higher profile people, all he does is win and keep playing and keep pitching well. So it might not be sexy. It might not be a high strikeout, high volume guy, but you know, we, we, we're, we're taught from a young age in this game not to chase wins, but 15 wins talks to you. He's going to be on a pretty good team. Even if they're the third best team in the division, they're going to win a lot of games. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm in on him. I think that he's a guy that is falling kind of off the radar. And you can, if you can get him as your fourth guy, I mean, like you could do a heck of a lot worse. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, by that time, yeah, you could get him as like a fifth starter. Um, and here's another galaxy brain, uh, idea for you. Get Carrasco at 305 and Peterson or McGill 100 picks later. Pair mm-hmm. them up, you know, because you have the upside of, okay, what if Verlander goes down and then Peterson and McGill replaces them? Then you got two starters on the Mets, but you're kind of, you're backing yourself up too, especially in like a draft and hold where you, you can't access the waiver wire. Um, you know, if Carrasco goes down, then one of these younger guys can step in and, and give yeah. you some decent numbers. So, uh, that's a great idea. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, Anna Carrasco. Thanks for uh, for sharing that with with us, Carlos. Uh, Mike, you were going to talk a little bit. I know um, Pat talked about Kodai Senga. Anything to add uh, based on the research that uh, that you had done on him? Yeah, I did a little bit of a dive on him and was taking a look at what he was because I, honestly, when I first heard about him, I didn't know much about him. He he doesn't come with a super high pedigree from Japan like some of his uh, other brethren did who've come over. Um, Steamer is projecting Senga for a 10 and 9 record, 3.73 ERA, 156 innings pitched, which um, seems a lot to me, and 178 Ks, which are, those are all very usable statistics for us in our game, as you know. Um, they're also predicting about a three and a half uh, walk per game per nine, uh, 27% K rate, which is pretty good. Now, this is a guy that, uh, as Pat said, Kind of came out of nowhere in Japan. He, he wasn't really highly uh, thought of or sought after for several years. But in 2019 and 2020, he led Japan in strikeouts. His whip last year was 1.05, which is, obviously is excellent. Uh, but walks have been an issue for him in the past. So if we go back to 2019 when he was striking a lot of guys out, he was also walking a lot of guys. His walk rate was about 11%. Last year that was down to about 8.5%. Pat pointed this out as well. The velocity is outstanding. I mean, he averages 96. He hits 99 in games. I actually found some research that said that he might have gone as high as 102 in games. But the one thing that people are kind of saying about Senga, the, the pundits, pundits as I would call them, they feel that the shape of his fastball makes it hittable, even with the high velocity. And so there's a lot of question as to how he's going to transition to playing an MLB coming over from Japan. Um, Pat had referred to his out pitch as a, as a, a disappearing forkball. I've seen it referred to as a splitter. I guess you can call it either one. I mean, they're very, they're kind of similar pitches in a way, right? I mean, in terms of what they do, the movement that goes along with it. Um, but there's a lot of questions about the slider and the curveball. And Pat had mentioned that there had been some talk about what his breaking stuff was like. But what I found in, in kind of researching it was that his slider and his curveball sometimes too closely mirror each other. And so that's something that he's going to have to work on. So people are coming over here saying that he's got a four pitch mix and I'm seeing more like a two pitch with like, you know, two maybes, right? If he is able to work those in. What do we know about Japanese pitchers? They get here. They're really smart. They learn really quickly. He's probably going to be successful. 
the one thing that's interesting about him too is that of all the Mets rotation guys, he has the longest term contract of any of them. They're paying him fifteen fifteen dollars, fifteen million dollars a year, and I don't think that wow. <laughs> I don't think that they're going to put him in the bullpen for that. Another thing, though, that kind of gives you a little bit of pause on him is that he was shut down twice last year in May and July with elbow injury. And, you know, that gives you a little bit of pause. And it's not like he's 23. He's 29. So there's some question here. There's a little bit of risk here. Although in looking at steamer projections, I was a little more impressed with him than I thought I was going to be. Um, if, If he gives you 10 wins and an ERA and a whip that are decent, and those 178 strikeouts, like that's that's pretty good for where he's going in drafts. However, I'm one of those guys too that like I like to see a guy do it first before I like go all in on it, right? So like I kind of want to see him. Like I don't need need him to pass the eye test necessarily, but I kind of want to see what he does with a year under his belt to see how he develops here. Because if you take him at that ADP and then he ends up in the bullpen being a mop-up guy or a long guy, you wasted a pick, right? So there's other guys around there that I think I would be more – I'd feel safer with, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He is going at an ADP of – let me talk into the mic. That helps. Um, He's going at an ADP of 186. So, Carlos, in in or out on Kode Senga at that price? I'm cautiously in because I, I, I agree with Mike. There are, there are a lot of, uh, you know, things that we, we don't know that could happen. The worst one being that the, the, the situation in which he ends, ends up in the bullpen, which would be ca- catastrophic. Um, but, uh, I'm interested. I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've never, and we, we talked about that, um, with Pat. I've never seen projections so bullish on, on, uh, Japanese important, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. Maybe I, I will be curious just looking from the outside and not getting too many shares and, and regretting not getting him for the whole season. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I, I think what you pointed out, Mike, and that's uh, I'm glad that you shared that with us about his injuries that he did experience last year. I mean, anytime you hear elbow uh, and a yeah. guy that throws 100, uh, we don't know the severity of those injuries, but that gives me some pause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that, knowing just just using our intuition, right, and and, and seeing previous players who've come over from Japan and, um, you know, have struggled or are not kind of hit their upper percentile outcome in their first year in the United States, which makes sense, right? They're, they're adjusting to a whole new culture. Absolutely. That's going to be adjusting to a different ball. Um, you know, the schedule will be, will be different. There's more travel. So, uh, there, there's a lot to factor in there. So I probably, it's intriguing, right? When you look at, other pitchers going in that range i'm like man you know that the upside there it, it's unknown but he's probably not some i may have like again if i'm drafting like 10 teams maybe one share just to have some exposure but mike real quick rank these four pitchers going around him you've got senga john gray mccullers and grayson rodriguez how would you rank those four i'd probably go gray mccullers rodriguez senga 
Okay, saying uh, the bottom out of out of those four, mm-hmm. Carlos, would you uh, yeah. have any differences there? No, I think that that's fair. That that's fine. And just just yeah. for reference, he in the last four drafts, he has fallen to one ninety five in the ADP. Interesting. Okay. I bet he's going to inflate before that, and that somebody's going to be willing to pay a price that I'm not willing to pay for him. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and there, there's some intriguing arms going in that range uh, in addition to the ones that I just mentioned. So, yeah, uh, sounds like all of us are kind of on, on the same wavelength with that one. But uh, quickly before we uh, end this discussion, anything else, any fantasy-relevant um, you know, information or just thoughts on some of these, these Mets players? I think we, we we did a good run and, and cover most of the of the pressing matters regarding this. Uh, we, we didn't talk about Jose Quintana and, and and I know he's not and you know a flashy name, but the guy keeps piling up innings and year after year. So I don't know. There there could be something there that that, that could help some some teams, but it, it I think it he deserves a. a uh, you know, a deeper dive on them from now on. Okay. Uh, last question: Quintana or Carrasco? Or oh, Carrasco? Yeah, for sure. Carrasco. And, yeah, I'm not sure where. I think Quintana might be going. There seem to be a lot of players that don't think that he can repeat what he did last year, Quintana, because yeah. he kind of came back off the scrap heap and pitched really well last year. Yeah. I had quite a bit of them last year, which I guess probably tells you that I didn't do real well. But <laughs> yeah, I guess he he was fine for where mm-hmm. he was going. But there there's right. just no, I don't know. It, it's just boring. Um, and, yeah. and maybe that's uh, some of our detriment when we try to chase flashier players. But he's probably not someone that I'll uh, be too interested in. Um, okay, guys. Any? Uh, well, let me ask you, Daniel Vogelback. I, I was just, you know, while you guys are talking, I'm just like staring at Daniel Vogelback because he's just, there's something about him, man. I just love the guy. Um, he has stolen zero bases in his career. Is this the year? Is this the year with the the rule changes that we see the big man get his first stolen base? I'm saying yes. Yeah, I'm saying yes, too. I think it's going to happen. Oh, my God, man. This is I really mean, what matters. I mean, think about the value change for Vol- Daniel Vogelback when he steals his one base, Carlos. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, they, the Can you one, just say no and we, we gamble? Because I really I'm itching to make a bet. So let's just <laughs> let's just put, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't care anything on it. I mean, um, if, I just, if, I William, if Williams has to do you stole a base. I think it's not completely impossible that, that <laughs> if he, he, I was just looking at Statcast. He is second percentile sprint speed. Um, let me tell you, man, if he does that at home, City Field is going to collapse. Like the place <laughs> yeah. is going to just be. It, it It'll be like when Bartolo hit the home run. <laughs> so I think he needs to do that just for the fans like that would be one of the most enjoyable things of the season so <laughs> do you remember um, who Bartolo hit the home run off of I do James Shields yeah who yeah, we who the like... White Sox got for uh, Fernando Tatis Jr oh, that's a good yes. trade it's a good trade good trade that worked out you know, really well it, this, this is like how crazy I am I 
you know, people have like moments that stand out. Like, where were you when, you know, <laughs> all these big events where JFK died, 9 11. Like, I remember where I was when Bartolo Colon hit that home run. Like, I remember <laughs> that so vividly. Uh, really, like, that was such a moment. And I'm hoping Vogelback can, uh, can, uh, replicate that somewhat for us. But, um, we're going to end that discussion on, uh, ADP. So we've done this in previous episodes where we've uh, saved the end of our episode on to focus on things we're doing to improve our overall wellness. I gave this spiel a couple episodes ago, but I'll just do it quickly again. You know, we we want you to tune in and and hopefully learn something from the podcast. Walk away from every episode with something, a nugget or, you know, some piece of information or just being entertained. You know, you invest your time in listening we want you to get a return on your investment. But we here are all passionate about mental health and, you know, Mike and I work in the field. So in addition to the baseball stuff that hopefully you're taking away, we thought it would be cool if we talked about something you may be able to take away for your just for your life. You know, so, um, you know, very short segment here. We're calling it. I don't know. We said mental health minute. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll roll with that or another name. But um, so that that's what we're doing. So let me ask you guys, anything that either of you are, are doing right now that you feel has been uh, helpful in helping you maintain, whether it's your mental wellness, your physical wellness, uh, just just in general, what, what's working for you right now? I wanted to share something because as you both of you know, I, I had to deal with the loss uh, recently, a friend, a dear friend of mine that, that uh, unfortunately passed away because uh, after struggling with cancer um, for, you know, little, little time, just a few, three months only since his diagnosis. And, and uh, when these things happen, you get, to put things in perspective, right? And um, of course, you need time to mourn. You need time to grieve. You need time to to process all that's happening. But you also need the the time to, after you deal with what you are you feeling, you need to also move one step at a time ahead. And and I'm I'm really cautious and in using that because. Every step for everyone is different. Uh, mm-hmm. well, a step for me might might mean something. A step for Chris or Mike might mean something else. So uh, we have to avoid, uh, you know, trying to compare our our processes with with someone else's. Um, but we need to make sure that we take our time to mourn, but then that we. Put together in, in around people that can help us take these steps forward. Uh, reach to someone, uh, talk to a friend or a counselor, or 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 there's a there are a lot of resources nowadays that that people can use, and um, uh, we have to make sure that we have that support that will help you take these little or giant steps. But it, it, it's important that we find a way, a way to keep walking. Man, life is short, but it's what we we have. Uh, we have to deal with it and whatever it throws to us. Man. Well, very well said, and and thank you for sharing that, Carlos. Yeah, I mean, just a, a few like 
like you said, there everybody's process for grieving a loss it looks different, right? And uh, there's no right or wrong way, uh, but I, I think you, you nailed it by just trying to focus on what are those, even if they're so to other people may seem like minor. What are those little steps that you can take forward uh, to move forward? And uh, you know, it sounds like you one of the biggest things was getting support from others uh, to help you deal with this loss. So that I think is, is number one uh, we need, whether it's a counselor family, like reaching out for support rather than just turning inward, which may be our first inclination. Right. Right. Um, okay. Mike, anything to add on to anything Carlos said or uh, just uh, for yourself, anything that you're doing personally to maintain yeah. progress? Well, Carlos, you know, our thoughts have obviously been with you with what you've been going through the last couple of weeks and, and you kept us abreast of what was going on. And it's just a really tough time to go through. Um, I think one of the things that I think about a lot, Chris, when we talk about like our work in the field of mental health, and I work at a therapeutic day school for kids that have social and emotional disorders, is that it's really easy to kind of let that stuff kind of carry around with you and drag you down. And I really talk a lot with our staff and with the people around us about not only rational detachment, but also compassion fatigue. And that really the research on that shows that the more that we're invested in ourselves and the more things that we can do that we can schedule for ourselves, whether that be exercise classes or bike rides or going for long walks or whatever it might be, scheduling those things for yourself on a weekly basis is really crucial to having appropriately good mental health when it comes to leaving the stress of things behind. And so we are, we're all dads. We know that when we leave work, we have to go home and switch gears really quickly and become dad. And that means making dinner. That means maybe helping with homework. That means putting the kids to bed if you're Chris with the little ones and whatnot. And so we have to be fully engaged and around our, our friends and, uh, and and our family. Nobody wants to see temperamental Mike at home, as my wife Katie has reminded me on several occasions, right? So we have to really be aware of what we're bringing to the table and really make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And I know that that's easier said than done. But I will tell you, having an autoimmune disease like I do, I have rheumatoid arthritis, and some people know that and other people do not, your body will tell you when you're going to take a break if you don't give it a break, right? So I've learned that the hard way a couple of times, a story for another night, but please just make sure that you're taking care of yourselves physically and emotionally because they say that you can't pour from an empty cup, but if you don't um, work on having having that, you're not going to have a cup at all. So it's really, really important, especially with we look at our friend Carlos and what he's gone through with the loss of a friend that was a young man who was sick. Um, time is a gift and it's not um, given equally to all of us. And so we have to really make sure that we're maxing out our time and doing things that are important. Like doing this podcast with you guys on a weekly basis, it's a release for me. It's something that I really enjoy. And it really helps me stay focused during the course of the week on the things that are important. Work is very important. So friends and family are more important. And I think we always need to remember that. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. Yeah. Just the idea of being intentional, right? And yes. um, so many of us live our lives on autopilot, you know, where we're just like, you know, like when you go to work to the same place every day, you don't even have to think, right? Like you just get in the car and sometimes you just blink and you're like, oh, I'm at work. Like it's just automatic. And I think some of us, you know, myself included at times, we just kind of fall into that rut. And I think just being able to really be, it's a buzzword now, but to be mindful, to pay attention to our experience, 
both inner and outer, um, and and really being intentional about what we're doing with everything, with our with our thoughts, with our behaviors. Um, I I think is is so so important uh, for me. Just really quick, and I wanted to tie this into uh, the what we started off talking about, which was the nomination for the uh, the award. So I just want to share, like when that when I got that news, it, it was just a perfect microcosm of how my brain works. So I saw that, and I'm I'm like I I knew it was real, but I'm like that's got to be a mistake. Like what? Like like me being part of something that uh you know got nominated for an award like i've got that inner critic man like it just it's always there a little motherfucker in the background that's always like trying to take me down and uh you know i've dealt with that my entire life and you know it again this was just a microcut it was like all these like self-doubting things like oh well you know what are people gonna think or you know it's amazing like where my mind can go and you know, I've done a lot of work myself and obviously working with clients, um, you know, talking about just taking our thoughts and not getting hooked to them, kind of detaching, you know. So what I tried to do when that happened the other day is just kind of like allow those thoughts to be, you know, like I don't want to push back against it because sometimes that makes those thoughts even stronger. Right. Exactly right. Um, so for me, it was just like it's just noticing you know, noticing these thoughts and be like, oh, there's that little motherfucker again. Like, you know, like it, it, it just like letting it be like not reacting to it, not getting hooked to it. Just like, all right, well, there are these these negative thoughts like I'm not going to feed into them. And uh, it's almost like I, I also use this analogy, like just like a, a cloud passing by in the sky. Oh, you, you see the cloud. It's passing by. You, you don't it doesn't have to hurt you. Right. It does, you don't have to get hooked to it. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to talk about that for a second. Like the idea of, first of all, we got to be aware of our internal dialogue and how our thoughts are impacting the way we feel and behave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the next step is to just be to develop a relationship with them that's not antagonistic. That's not that you're not like almost like, um, uh, I can't find the right word, but just like feeding into it. Um, so. Just wanted to put that out there. Anybody who's listening who also has that, I know a lot of people struggle with that, with that inner critic or yeah. just like really negative thoughts. Pay attention to that and make it a goal in the near future to just really to just detach from it and, and, mm-hmm. and not get sucked in. Hey guys, any 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 thoughts on that before we end? Well said, man. Yeah, totally. totally. All right. So quickly, I, I just wanted to say we you know, I brought up the FSWA award again. Um, just blown away by the people that have supported us and the people who reached out uh, yeah. to congratulate us. Just really, it, it feels really good. Like we started something, I don't know, four months ago now, and we had no idea uh, what this was going to turn out to be. And to get that, I mean, listen, it feels good. It's like validation. Okay, you're doing something right. And we want to continue to get better. I mean, it's not going to change anything. Like I think our goal from the beginning was just to put out a good show, you know, mm-hmm. do the best we can. Right? It's not even about, I guess, a good show. It's do the best we can yeah. and let the pieces fall where they may. And uh, it just, it feels really good. Uh, so I just want to send another thank you to anybody who's listened, who reached out to us, anybody just uh, really feeling grateful today. 
So I think let's end it there. We we've gone long enough. Um, any last words before we end, Mike or Carlos? No, I just want to uh, yeah say thanks, and I want to acknowledge the great list of guys that we're we're uh, now tied in in, in this nomination. Uh, it's Rates and Barrels, Sleeper and the Boss, FTN and Fantasy Baseball, Rotowire, fan and the guys at Pitcher List, which is like home to me too. So I'm I'm just blown away just reading that the fantasy baseball beat is there with all this fantastic but, but fantastic podcast is it's already a reward by itself. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, I, I I was actually totally shocked by the whole thing as we we've, we've documented. We don't I don't need to go into more detail about that, but just really want to be thankful uh to all the folks that have given us an opportunity to do this. The guys over at um, you know, Triple Play Fantasy that put us together and thought this was a good idea. Yeah. And then everybody that's ever had any of us on a podcast or has been interested in anything we have to say, it is uh, it is very humbling. And I just hope to continue to be of service and be somewhat entertaining when I speak, even though I still think when I speak, it sounds like I need more medication. But um, <laughs> I really appreciate everybody that's been listening and giving us feedback. It's It's just really three friends that are just kind of talking and riffing on what's going on, right? So it's been great. And- and um, enjoy working with everybody and just a, a big thanks to everyone who's been on our show and anyone that's inspired us, which is a lot of people. It's a long list. Yeah, absolutely. And one last name, and then I'm going to shut the hell up. Um, but this one should have even been, it should have been at the beginning. David Mendelson, who oh, yeah, is the sure. founder of, of Triple Play Fantasy, he approached the three of us about doing the podcast. So just a really big thank you for thinking of us, for um you know putting us together uh we we just appreciate your friendship and uh what you've done for us so anyway we're gonna leave it there for mike for carlos thank you for listening to fantasy baseball beat